Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast, the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Hello, welcome to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio, and I will be your lore master. This week, we will be covering one of the more famous characters in D&D. She was a human witch who became an immortal fae. She has been both a lover and an enemy of the demon prince Grazit. One of her many monikers is attached to the infamous hideous laughter spell. I am, of course, speaking of Igwilv, also known as Natasha the Dark or known as Zabilna, or, of course, known as Tasha. Tasha's hideous laughter, of course, is the first level spell available to both bards and wizards, which caused the subject to become incapacitated due to an extreme giggle fit. Uh, This might not seem like all that great or strong of a spell, but when you need a distraction in a pinch... Someone is just a failed wisdom saving throw away from causing a scene and literally ROFLing. What makes this case especially interesting is Igwilv and Tasha were wholly separate characters at first. It was not until the 3.5 edition adventure, Expedition to the Ruins of Greyhawk, that these two characters' histories were retconned to be one. Lore also states that this character has two forms, that of a raven-haired beauty, much like the cover of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything displays, and the other of an old crone. This obviously plays into the duality of Igwilv slash Tasha. The character of Igwilv has real-life origins in the epic poem from Finland, Kalevala. Gary Gygax has cited this work as inspiration for the creation of Igwilv, in particular the character of Lohe. According to Finnish mythology, Lohe is an evil witch queen who has the ability to not only cast powerful spells and enchantments, but the ability to change shape as well. She acts as one of the antagonists in Kalevala, battling the heroes for an ancient magical artifact known as Sampo. In his novel Sea of Death, Gygax writes, Igwilv from Greyhawk is known as Lohe on an alternate Earth, which would indicate in the grand multiverse of things, the planet we live on is merely just one of countless, and that heroes we know only from Dungeons and Dragons have stepped foot on Earth. So where, dear listener, does Tasha, or rather Igwilv, find her origins within the D&D realm. Well, as previously stated, she is a creation of Gary Gygax himself, created to use in his personal Greyhawk campaign setting, which of course became the original setting for D&D 
as well as one of its most popular. The character of Tasha was created when Gygax received some fan mail. Tasha was a little girl who sent me letters in crayon, Gygax explained, and requested a spell having to do with laughter. In keeping with early Dungeons and Dragons tradition of naming artifacts or spells after somebody, but then giving very little information on who exactly that person was, I am looking right at you, eye and hand of Vecna. Absolutely no context for who Tasha was, was provided. The only sliver of information we managed to get comes from Dragon Magazine issue 83, The Dancing Hut Adventure. In this module, players take on the hag Baba Yaga and enter her famous chicken-legged hut. Inside the hag's home are many rooms, two of which are named Natasha's Chambers and Natasha's Laboratory. The description for Natasha's Chambers includes this bit of information. Natasha the Dark is an adopted human daughter of Baba Yaga, who was influenced by the witch to take up her sorcery and use it for dark purposes. A beautiful woman with smoky black hair and alabaster skin, Natasha enjoys manipulating demons and uses them frequently as servants and guardians. The adventure goes on to describe Natasha as materialistic, vain, and paranoid. So we have a spell with the name Tasha, and we have a connection to Baba Yaga with the name Natasha. So how do they actually connect? As stated in the Dancing Hut adventure, Natasha was born a human who was later adopted by the witch Baba Yaga. It is under this arch phase care Natasha learns how to spell cast and more than likely picks up her selfish and cruel disposition. Additionally, during their time together, Tasha was able to traverse the multiverse, including spending time in the Feywild, which would prove substantial in her lifetime in the years to come. However, her tutelage under the hag would eventually come to an end. After leaving the confines of her adoptive mother's hut, Natasha travels to the city of Lapola, changes her name to Hura, and probably with good reason, since it doesn't seem like she's up to any good. According to lore, it is while she, she is in Lapola that she managed to steal Daoud's wondrous lanthorn. This was an artifact of great power, a lantern capable of emitting powerful spells. What's interesting about this artifact is its first appearance, which is in the adventure, The Lost Caverns of Sojkamp. In addition to this item, two other magnificent items belonging, end up belonging to the adventuring party upon completing the, the, the module. The Prison of Zagig, which we will get into a little bit later, and the Demonomicon of Igwilv. This is, in fact, the first mention of Igwilv in Dungeons & Dragons. However, despite its earlier publication, this adventure doesn't actually take place in the timeline until after the formerly named Natasha drops the name Hura and travels to the city of Greyhawk, which we will get to after the middle of the show. 
Welcome to the middle of the show. For those of you not versed in this particular portion of the Dungeons and Dragons lore cast, we use the middle of the show to A, thank our patrons, B, discuss any upcoming minis or recent D&D news, and C, take a gander at what homebrew fun the DMs Guild has in store for us. So A, our patrons. This week, we want to shout out our scholar patrons, Remington Cloutier and the Dog Indy and Wolf the Sheepdog. These fine folk at scholar level get early at free episodes as well as any bonus content we produce. That includes full bonus episodes, bonus minisodes, and of course, the Patron Plus episodes where we dive even deeper into the lore of that week. Don't be scared to join in on the fun. You can go to patreon.com slash D&D Lorecast to sign up. In addition to our scholar tier, we also have the wizard tier, which gets you D&D Lorecast swag, as well as extends a standing invitation to our multiverse famous patron roundtable chat at the end of every month. We also have the deity tier. If you're feeling especially arcane, you get everything we have to offer, plus even more enticing perks like having yours truly DM a one-shot for you and your friends, or I can make a special appearance in your own campaign that you're already running, or I can help you workshop a new adventure you're writing or even a campaign setting. And then of course, there's the apprentice tier for the low price of only five bucks a month. You can financially support the show as well as getting episodes early and ad free. And I'll even send you some stickers to boot. And of course, if you are not in a position where you can sign up for the Patreon, we would love your your support in other ways, like leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, telling a friend about the show, following us on Twitter. We are at DND Lorecast or joining the Robots Radio Discord and chatting with us there. We definitely appreciate the support. And we'll love to hear from the folks listening to the show. Now, in the realm of miniatures, dndminis.com has the pre-orders up for their Icons of the Realm Spelljammer Adventures in Space line. I will be the first to admit, these buttes will cost a pretty penny. There is an Astral Dreadnought for a little over $260. But it is huge. The term miniature shouldn't really apply to it. And it looks amazing. In addition to that, there are other huge minis. There are battle mats and four or five pack collections, which include not only creatures, but ships as well. Like there's a four pack, which includes an adult red dragon, a swarm of murder comets, a tyrant ship, and a cosmic horror that just makes my little Dungeons and Dragons heart jump for joy. And of course, the five pack, which includes the Space Galleon, reminds me why the Spelljammer campaign setting piqued my interest and why I'm so excited for it to come to fifth edition. Be sure, dear listener, there is a lot of cool stuff we are working on coming down the pipeline as we get closer to August. A link to all these amazingly cool minis is available, of course, in the show notes. And finally, what kind of shenanigans and tomfoolery 
can the DMs Guild help us get into this week? Well, there are actually two books that we want to highlight this week, volumes one and two of Tasha's Crucible of Everything Else. From the folks at QL Games, including a whole slew of amazing Dungeons and Dragons writers and artists, including our old friend Stuart Watkinson himself. Both of these volumes include amazingly fun game mechanic innovations as well as beautiful art. Volume one includes 27 new subclasses, three reworked and improved subclasses, 30 new spells, 50 new magic items, plus tools to assist the dungeon master and so much more. Now, volume two adds another 23 new subclasses. That's a grand total of 50 freaking subclasses for your character, plus seven new character races, 37 new creatures, and all sorts of cool stuff like rules on handling swarms to not only speed up group combat, but make it more fun and efficient. Now, both volumes are available at a discounted bundle price of $34.99, or you can buy them separately for $19.99 each. They are available in PDF format, and in my humble opinion, dear reader, worth every penny. Definitely fantastic additions to your campaign, adventure, or if you're like me, to feed the ever-insatiable hunger for some Dungeons & Dragons knowledge. (laughs) Tasha's Crucible of Everything Else Volumes 1 and 2, available now on DMs Guild. Links, as always, are provided in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show, shall we? Welcome back, dear listener. When we last left Natasha, she was causing trouble in... Lapola, under the name Hura. It was here she absconded with Daoud's wondrous lanthorn. Daoud being a hero deity of Greyhawk and his wondrous lanthorn, an artifact of great power, capable of emitting powerful spells. When this theft was discovered, however, folks were none too happy, and Hura was forced to flee Lapola, and she soon popped up in one of D&D's most famous cities under a new name. Upon arriving in Greyhawk, Natasha the Dark shortened her name to simply Tasha, dropping Hura entirely. It is here she came under the mentorship of Zagig. Now we spoke of Zagig briefly during the Patreon exclusive minisode on the Citadel of Eight. Zagig was a powerful wizard who was the adoptive father of Citadel of Eight member Irig before achieving divinity. However, while still mortal, he took on yet another ward in Tasha and even allowed her to join him in an adventuring party known as the Company of Seven. So not only is she Zagig's protege, however, she eventually becomes his lover. This deeply entrenched relationship combined with Zagig's already scatterbrained personality, might explain why Tasha is able to get away with what she does here shortly. It is also during this time she creates her eponymous hideous laughter spell, which was included in the in-universe text Lore of Subtle Communication, a book Tasha wrote. 
It is also during this time she becomes even more acquainted with the fiends from the abyss. Now, after Zagig constructed Castle Greyhawk, he and Tasha began experimenting with summoning and trapping demons. Together, they summoned and imprisoned demon lord Fraz Erblu. Zagig seemed content enough knowing he was able to call forth this mighty Tanari and then entrap him forever. However, Tasha's curiosity could not be so easily sated. And it is this behavior that I was alluding to when I said Tasha got away with something. She spends countless hours in the deepest dungeon of Castle Greyhawk, extracting as much information as possible from the Prince of Deception. It was at this point in her very long life, Tasha, Natasha, Igwilv, whatever you may call her, it's where she learned many demonic secrets which would come to aid her in the future. Feeling as if she had learned everything necessary from Fraz Urblu, and also that her relationship with Zagig had run its course or rather outlived its usefulness, Tasha absconds from Castle Greyhawk with many tomes and artifacts from her former lover's personal library. Among these were the Tome of Zix and the prison of Zagig. It is at this point, the newly christened Igwil makes her way to the Yatil Mountains, the area where the lost caverns of Sojkanth adventure takes place. Now, Sojkanth is actually the name of a wizard, a half-human son of Fraz Erblu, the demon lord Igwil and Zagig imprisoned in the bowels of Castle Greyhawk. Igwilv took control of Sojkanth and enslaved him for dozens of years. But Igwilv wasn't done messing with demons just yet. Using the knowledge she gained about demons while in Greyhawk, Igwilv managed to summon and imprison Grazit himself. Much how she did Fraz Erblu, she grills Grazit for information, learning even more about demons more about spellcasting, and even learned the true names of some Tanari. Of course, knowing a demon's true name is the one surefire way to control it. This information made its way into the edited and revised Tome of Zix, and it was renamed the Demonomicon or the Demonomicon of Igwilv. But it wasn't all business between Igwilv and Grazit. Once Igwilv realized she could not tolerate the presence of anyone but the demon lord. Their workplace relationship eventually turned, well, maybe not romantic, them being who they are, uh, but definitely more than platonic. And the two bore a son. That son's name was Eus, the infamous demigod of deceit, evil, oppression, pain, and wickedness. I guess with parents like that, you really got to overachieve to get noticed, I guess. Uh, for a little over 10 years, with Grazit at her side, Igwil ruled the region around her base in the Yantles, a geographic area known as the Parent Land. It really seemed like nothing could go wrong, but oh, all the best laid plans of witches and demons. A spreading rift a crack between the abyss 
and Igwilv's base of operations proved worrisome, and Grazit, pretending to be helpful, suggested to his lover she use Sojkanth as a living seal against the rift. But this was a ploy by the demon lord. He knew Sojkanth, despite his dozens of years of forced servitude, would be able to fight back against this, and fight back he did. Igwilv was able to defeat the wizard, but she was left weakened, exactly where Grazit wanted her. The demon lord broke free from his imprisonment and attacked his former lover. A testament to how powerful a spellcaster Igwilv was, Grazit too was felled by Igwilv, as Sojkant was. But as demons cannot be slain in the material plane, he was merely banished to the abyss. It was a result of these two fraught battles that Igwilv's beautiful form was pierced by magic and split into two manifestations, the aforementioned dark-haired beauty and the hideous crone. Igwilv was forced to flee once more and bound her tomes and artifacts within the caverns she once called home. To protect them, she left her vampire daughter named Drelzna a rumored offspring of her union with Zagig. Now, this is the inception of the Lost Caverns of Sojkant adventure mentioned earlier. In the adventure, heroes enter a cave in search of a magical horde of unsurpassed value. However, its previous inhabitant, the witch Igwilv, was not too keen on having her hard-earned treasures taken so easily. As such, there are plenty of traps and tricks waiting for the heroes. The adventure states, Nearly a century ago, the archmage Igwilv sent her evil minions to conquer the lands around her abode. So successful was she that the marches of the Perrinland were subjugated for a decade, and great indeed was the loot brought to Igwilv's lair in answer to her insatiable demand for treasure. It goes on to state, that within the lost caverns of Sojkant, Igwilv performed vile experiments, one of which proved to be her downfall. That experiment, of course, was the summoning and imprisonment of Grazit. Igwilv was presumed dead for this time, for a century, for nearly a century, between when her battle with Grazit took place and when the lost caverns of Sojkant adventure takes place. She was not heard of for some time. But we all know that a good witch is hard to keep down. And next week, we will discuss exactly what Tasha got into following her fallout, the first of many, in fact, with Grazit. Thank you once again for spending time with the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I have enjoyed researching it. Remember to please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify and tell a friend about the show. And if you're able, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash Lorecast, as well as buying tickets for the raffle mentioned during the middle of the show. Again, details for that, plus everything else we mentioned, are in the show notes. Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at 
dndlorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.